So I'm kind of like the MacGyver of the kitchen. Welcome to the Corner Booth, where conversation is on the house and everybody has a story to tell. Now, maybe you're looking for the inspiration you need to kickstart the career you've always dreamt of for yourself, or maybe you just want to hear some cool stories from real people who are out there doing it right. But before I share our conversation with you, I need to tell you a little bit about the recording of it first. See, this was the first attempt I ever made to record a conversation over Skype. And since it was my first time, my breathing is admittedly a little heavy at times, so I would encourage you to please look past that, enjoy the conversation, and I promise if you stick with the program, I'll correct it and we'll never have this issue again. But on that topic, I want to say, since it was my first time recording a conversation via Skype, I needed a tool to do it. And just a quick Google search landed me at Ecamm. Ecamm has a call recorder tool that is second to none. If you're somebody like me who's ambitious about putting a project together but isn't the most technologically savvy fella or feline out there, they have a free trial to use their call recorder and Literally within minutes of downloading the free trial, I was on board to purchase the full tool for $39.95. It's the easiest way that I could find after looking for quite some time to be able to record Skype calls or Skype video. Literally, it's a tool that you download and then Every time you fire up Skype, it's going to appear. Do you want to record this call? Do you not want to record this call? And then once it's recorded, boom, with the click of a button, you export it. It's an MP3 file that you can take into whatever audio editing software you prefer to use or video editing software you prefer to use and and chop it up from there. So if you're if you're someone like me who's ambitious about stuff, doesn't exactly know what to use, I recommend ecam.com and use their call recorder tool. It's perfect for Mac. You're going to love it. It's the easiest, simplest way to record your calls from Skype. But all right, that's enough plugging a product that isn't paying me a dime to be here. So let's get to the main event. She's a woman that's so many things she'll never fit in any one box. She's an activist, an artist, a feminist, and a friend to anyone in need of her very special set of skills. She's the self-proclaimed MacGyver of the kitchen. And from her home base down in Savannah, Georgia, Chef Amber Marie, along with her team at Clean Cuisine, is fixing the way we think about how food affects our mental and physical health one recipe at a time. This is a fun one, packed with nutritious information and plenty of good mojo. Give it a listen, and I'll be back to kiss you goodbye at the end. What is Clean Cuisine? And and just give it to me in a nutshell. Well, about, I would say, eight or so years ago, um, I decided to be self-employed, which I really like that better because I have the opportunity to kind of create whatever work situation is best for me um, instead of kind of being in this, like, victim mode of just finding whatever's available Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of going out and finding the clients I want to work with, but... Um, with respect to this business, I guess mostly what I've been doing, I have like a 
kind of like bread and butter client or two, which are people that um, I cook for privately um, in their homes. And then I also do uh, nutrition education and some related nonprofit work. Now, when, um, when you say cook for in their homes, because that's like a concept that's so... I'm not in that tax bracket. It's like how many days a week are you going to their house and, and preparing meals for them? Well, see, and that's, that's an interesting feature of, and, and something that I've fine tuned the longer that I've been doing this. And it kind of waxes and wanes with like how much of the education piece that I'm doing at any given time. But I mean, I've had periods since I've been doing this where I've had clients that I cook for, you know, where I would show up at their house and cook, three or four days a week and um, prepare the meals that day and serve the meal. And that's kind of a more high-end service. And then there are clients that I've worked with at a lower price point. Perhaps they're eating healthier because they have some kind of health issue or eating disorder or food allergy, not just because they can afford a, you know, a private chef and that's just a thing that they have, but you know, they have a need for the service and maybe I'll drop off you know, a bunch of meals like once a week or once every two weeks or whatever they can afford. And so it's, um, it's not always live in-house preparation. You are doing meal prep and bringing things for them you know, for the rest of the week or how does, I mean, I, or it's yeah, I mean, different with every I client. Mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, both, both appeal to me for different reasons. I mean, to be fair, the the more fancy service really appeals to the culinary snob in me. And I get to do more like high profile, like more creative work. And then, you know, the other work, it's like, I really get to help people, you know, and I'm meeting them at a lower price point, but like, they really need like the particular type of food that I'm working with. So, well, and that's, you know, the, that's I, the through line with clean cuisine in general, right? Like it's, I mean, walk me through this because I'm not the healthiest eater. Well, that's why um, I see this is why my service would be like, and I think a lot of people get this confused. They don't really know the difference between a private chef and a personal chef and a caterer. And I feel like I'm kind of like constantly having to correct people that they really don't know what I do. So we'll set the record straight right now. I, I'm working <laughs> on it. Um so like a caterer kind of does these like mass volume food production and can cater large events where there's like 50 to 100 people or can prepare food for like 100 different families and then go around and drop them all off. Like I cannot compete with the prices that a caterer can do, but also my food is going to be tasting better. Um, you know, it's going to be more tailored to like your actual tastes and what you want. Um, because I work one-on-one -on -one with clients. I think a personal chef is somewhere like more mid-range where they do the more like meal drop-off like every couple of weeks. That may or may not be more custom tailored to, you know, like, hey, I don't like mushrooms or, hey, I'm allergic to dairy and peanuts or, you know, it may or may not be that nuanced. Um, the private chef service is very, very, very individualized. So with those clients, I mean, for me, my personal chef and my private chef clients, both, when I start working with them, they fill out this like extensive questionnaire, which, you know, they have to detail like everything. Like, do you like thyme? Do you like parsley? Like everything, because I don't ever want to develop a menu 
that's custom tailored for them where there's a dish that they don't like it. Um, and I find if I have a very clear idea of what they do and don't like, that doesn't happen. So I don't want there to be mistakes. I want my clients to always be happy. Now, if you're doing more volume food service, you know, you're going to have people that are like, oh, I didn't really like that dish because it wasn't something I liked. I mean, even within families, there are people that like certain things more than others. And I can kind of work around that, you know, and make a separate side dish for this one family member that doesn't like this. And that's kind of what I do is I, you know, go out of my way to create menus. I'm kind of like the MacGyver of the kitchen. And, you know, no matter what kind of issues people have going on in the house, I kind of will develop a menu that kind of speaks to all of those issues at the same time. And a caterer just doesn't have the time or the capacity to do something like that. So it definitely is a higher end service. Um, it, it, you know, it's more expensive than eating at a restaurant, whether you're at the more personal chef level or the private chef level. But um, the private chef service is more about like you're actually getting the service of I'm preparing it hot in your home and handing it to you you know, rather than you're getting it in some kind of Tupperware and, you know, reheating it on your own. Does that make sense? It does. And this might seem like a strange follow-up question, but then are you ever invited to like eat with them or do you just have to hide out in the kitchen until they're done? And then who cleans up? Um, well, I've had different scenarios depending on the client. Um, I've definitely had more friendly, I mean, to be fair, like, you know, a couple of these clients I've had for like years at a time and you do get to be a member of the family. You're in their kitchen all the time and you talk to them and, you know, they'll definitely offer me food or even if they don't offer me to sit down at the table, if they have company over or something, they'll, you know, tell me to take home food or um, a lot of the clients I've had have a separate housekeeper. So I'm pretty OCD, so I don't generally leave a big mess anyway. Um, but it's generally like, okay for me to, you know, rinse off some dishes and just kind of leave them for the housekeeper to get it. Um, you know, when I do more of the personal chef service where I'm just dropping off meals, obviously all of that is on me, which makes it less appealing for me. But like I said, that's the service I do more out of the kindness of my heart because I really want to help somebody who has cancer or who is allergic to everything and cannot go out to eat. Because I've been sick and I kind of understand how awful that is and I want to help them. Is that part of what inspired this? Was food a big part of your sort of healing, your recovery? Um, definitely. I think I think part of the reason I got sick was I was just in the wrong kind of career field to begin with and I was just bored out of my mind. So, um, you know, I had started learning more. I mean, I, I felt like the traditional healthcare system really failed at diagnosing me and treating me. So I kind of went down this like rabbit hole of like alternative medicine. And, you know, I started learning a lot, a lot, a lot about nutrition and all this like body work stuff. And, um, it really started helping. And, um, I ended up having to get like really, really extreme with it. And I was like fasting and juicing for like long stretches of time and like herbal detox and things like that. But I noticed like a dramatic improvement in my symptoms. And I noticed I stopped getting worse, like after I made some changes to my diet. And, um, you know, ultimately, like, I feel like in order to stay healthy, 
you know, I really kind of need to at least approximate um, staying on track with a lot of that. Um, you know, I think it's, it varies person to person, like how extreme you need to go or like what, you know, substances you're putting in your body are the most offensive to you. Um, you know, but I know for me, there's certain things that, that I think a lot of people struggle with and certain things for me that I know are just like, you know, really difficult for my body to process and probably more toxic than others, if that makes sense. It does. And the other thing you mentioned that I wanted to get into that I find to be one of the most fascinating elements of your story, at least the story in route to clean cuisine was you mentioned how your previous career was just not healthy for you, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's so crazy is you were a lawyer, a practicing attorney, correct? Yes. And then what happened? Did you just up and decide one day, okay, I'm done with this, going to culinary school next? Well, sort of, kind of. I mean, I I don't, like, I really always wanted to, like, help people. And, you know, I thought going into a touchy-feely tract of the law would be a good way. I had just got really frustrated with a lot of the you know, I think it was like the public education system that really did it for me where I just, you know, I was trying to work in like teaching and it just, it was very frustrating because there was no funding and I ended up just going to law school. And I remember early on in law school, I was really bored and I just, the day-to-day reading and writing tasks were just like mind numbing to me. Like it wasn't like I couldn't do it, but I just didn't want to. And everyone kept telling me, oh, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. So you know, finish your degree. So I did that. And they said, well, you might as well take the bar. So I did that. Might as well try it for a couple of years. And I did that. And it just never got any better. And it was just like that little, like ignoring, you know, your intuition and like ignoring that voice that was just like, you know what? I need to find a job where I can still help people, but I actually enjoy the day-to-day work that I have to do. Like, you know, and I never really thought about it that way before, but like, what am I suited to doing? Like, am I the kind of person that wants to sit in a chair in front of a computer all day? And I'm like, hell no, I have like way too much energy. Um, you know, am I the person that belongs in a suit? I'm like, that's not my personality at all. Like, you know, I just felt like a phony, like through and through like every single day. So, um, you know, I thought about, I was like, well, what do I really like to do? I'm like, well, I like write like creative writing. Um, and I really like cooking. Like those are the two things I've always just really liked. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't, I definitely don't need any more education. Um, if I want to do creative writing and I don't know that I really see that as producing like a lot of income, like really soon. So, you know, I guess if I'm going to ever go back to school for culinary, like now's the time. So I kind of just like got online and I had already checked out culinary schools while I was still in law school. And I kind of like chickened out. I kind of like applied to like my top like five like dream jobs in law. And I was like, okay, if I don't get any of these, I'm going to go to culinary school. And I unfortunately was offered the jobs that I applied for. Oh, you poor Um, thing. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then I felt guilty because everybody else in my law school class, like, I mean, this was the time in um, New York City where like people... They were, like, putting off people for, like, clerkships and, like, legal, you know, people that were supposed to be first year starting at some of these law firms. They were putting them off for a year and paying them to just kind of, like, 
take a, you know, take a break because there weren't, there wasn't any work for anybody. Um, and I felt bad because I actually, out of all my graduated class, I was one of the few people that like scored a good job and I felt really bad, like turning it down, especially since it was like the exact one I wanted. And I'm like, <gasps> or, you know, that I, you know, thought out of the bunch of what I would have wanted to do. And what um, was it? What was the gig? Um, I worked for the City University of New York, so it was like public higher education. So it was like education law and kind of doing like, you know, civil rights and like policy work. Um, it's it's the largest public university in the country. So, you know, they there there's like 20, I think, six campuses. Some are state schools, some are um considered community colleges in the city of New York. So there's, it's just a very interesting legal like cluster F if you know what I mean, because Mm -hmm. I mean, they're getting money from like every different entity and, you know, so they're subject to all these different laws and it can be very complicated. There's a lot of red tape. So, you know, I got to write like the sexual harassment policy and the drug and alcohol policy and the, you know, and not, not doing all that work. It's not as glamorous as, glamorous as it sounds because there's just there's so many statutes that you kind of have to comply with to write the policy that uh, it's basically written for you because you can't say this or you can't or you got to do this or you, you know um there's so many laws that the university is subject to so but yeah I did a lot of policy work I did a lot of like labor employment stuff a couple of collective bargaining agreements um the university <clears throat> has with the faculty and staff So, you know, a lot of disgruntled um, applicants that, you know, a lot of civil rights type stuff, like, you know, people think they're being discriminated against because of their disability. Disability law is just huge right now. Um, Immigration type stuff. So even then, the emphasis in your professional career was on helping people. Yeah, I mean, I got into civil rights law because, you know, I just, you know, I didn't want, like, I was really upset that I just felt like the public education system was just like, kind of like, you know, just really not helping to bridge the gap for people in like, underserved communities, you know, I just felt like we have to do better at like helping people to get out of poverty and, you know, be able to empower themselves, like as they get older, and, you know, get into you know, public, um, universities and things like that. And yeah, so that was my motive for getting involved. And I think I, am very jaded now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the reason it don't be, don't be, because the reason I bring that up is because there was Amber Marie attorney at law. There was Amber Marie chef, but you have, you've had some other interesting jobs i'm gonna i'm gonna read some of these off and you tell me yes or no this is true or false you have been involved with herbal detoxification yes feng shui consult am i even saying that right is it feng shui feng shui i don't know how to pronounce it but i know how to i know how to consult on it i i can i can size up your house and tell you what isn't working and what what you are and aren't attracting as far as the energy in a space, it's very abstract. You can definitely get a feel for whether a space is inviting certain things or not. What is chakra clearing? 
Okay, well, that that goes with the herbal detox. I think I first got into that when I was healing from all my health issues. And I was doing, when I went, I think I mentioned I had got really into fasting and juicing at one point. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't really, okay, to be fair, I didn't really believe in a lot of this stuff until it happened to me. I'm just not like that kind of person. But I, I kind of thought the chakra stuff was kind of like very woo woo. And it was like, okay, there's colors. And you know, here's a rainbow and it goes up your body. And you know, I just thought it was kind of silly. To be honest, I didn't think there was anything to it. And um, I don't know that I even really knew anything about it. Um, I was vaguely aware that some yoga people like to talk about it. But I, I don't know. When I was doing the fasting and the herbal detoxing, there was a point, I think, like a couple months in where the root of disease that I had released, I felt it when I when I felt it do that. A, there was a mental and emotional and spiritual like component to that physical manifestation. But B, I, I had this like distinct sensation that like a shot like. Like, it just came to me that it was like a chakra was clearing. And I was like, what? So I was like, okay. Let's um, see. Can you, not to interrupt, but can you explain to me what a chakra is? I'm not even certain I understand what a chakra is. I don't know that I really understand it either. Um, Well, I guess, I guess the, (laughs) we're getting into like some really weird territory. So I'll try my best to explain what I can, but. According to like Ayurvedic medicine and and I'm sure some other teachings, you know, your body has these like concentrated energy centers. Um, There's definitely some of this in traditional Chinese medicine as well. You know, like you have these energy channels in your body and like the chakra centers, there's like seven of these and they kind of go up the central column of your body. And each one is like, you know, supposedly associated with certain, like I was saying, mental, emotional, spiritual kind of like baggage that you might be carrying. And it's also kind of associated with that area of the body and kind of like accumulating like health stuff in that area. If it's, you know, not working properly, or if it's like too active, or, you know, not active enough. So I guess that's where people come with the terminology of like a blocked chakra or closed chakra or something like that. I feel like um, energy blockages are something that, you know, you'll find being treated in like acupuncture or chiropractic or things of that nature. But, you know, or Reiki or I don't know, I'm sure there's all manner of um, treatments. But, you know, I found for me, the herbal detoxification was cleaning out some material in one of the chakra centers. And I was like, when I felt it release. It was like, I was like, I think that was a chakra center that just unblocked. Like it was, it was like, I, I just like knew that. And I went online to look it up and sure enough, it kind of went with the, the emotional and mental uh, material that I had kind of like processed. It was exactly what that chakra center is supposed to be associated with. So I just thought it was like really interesting. And I kind of like started studying chakras after that and I got more interested in just random Ayurvedic medicine and traditional Chinese medicine and I started studying it more seriously because I had the experience and I I had a mentor that was that did chakra readings and she showed me how she did it and I I kind of like it so 
I do it with people now and it helps me, I feel like, to just diagnose if they have any kind of like health stuff going on. I tend to have like an, an intuitive feelings about that, but sometimes it's nice to have it confirmed. I'm looking at this list here and I'm seeing other things like tarot readings, dream analysis, psychic mentoring. But the one I do need you to talk about a little bit more, paranormal investigations. What's going on there? Oh, <laughs> Okay, well, to preface it real quick. Tell me a ghost story. Okay, 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 okay. Well, just to back up real quick, like I, before I ever became an attorney, before I even got an education degree, like when I was in college, like right when I started college, I had got um, a summer job as a phone psychic. And my mother had bought me my first deck of tarot cards. And so I've been doing that for like, I don't know, like 20 years now. You giving away your age like that? Often, yeah. <laughs> Off and on professionally, I've, you know, I've been doing tarot readings. And like I said, it's kind of morphed into like since my health stuff, I've been doing the shocker stuff as well. But I was always like, I was an intu- I was a weird little kid. I was always like very intuitive with all my stuff and you know, I used to tell my parents all the time as a kid about experiences I would have. And, you know, more often than not that they would tell me I was like out of my mind. But that's a whole nother story. But as far as the the formal paranormal investigations are concerned, I think like as an adult, I've kind of learned more to like self-validate um, as far as like my perceptions. And I've kind of just found more individuals that have the same abilities that I have, you know, and talk to them and I feel better and I'm able more to just say, Hey, this is something I can do. And if you don't believe it, that's fine. I mean, I, if, if I didn't have an experience with something, I might not believe it either. So I understand it sounds crazy to people who haven't experienced it. I'm not expecting them to believe it. If, you know, like I said, with the shocker thing, like if I didn't have the experience, I kind of thought it was silly too. So Um, that's fine. But you know, just for me, I have to live with this. So you know, it is what it is. So I'm like, let me find a way to be helpful. As you know, like I said, I I really like, you know, I'm like, if I'm gonna have this like vague burden of being startled all the time, and have to pick up on all this extra sensory garbage, like, let me find a way that I could like be of service. And um, so a few years ago, I met a guy who was active with a couple of like, paranormal investigation teams I was like you got to be kidding me is that like a real thing like he was like yeah so he you know I was like of course like I you know I was curious so I was like well I want to be involved I want to be on the team (laughs) so I kind of I can't kind of had to like hang around on like the outskirts for like a couple of investigations like I don't I I hate to be like to prove myself or whatever but kind of sort of you know no for sure um for the other you know, intuitives and, and such on the team to like decide I was cool or whatever. You um, needed to earn their trust. Yeah. So, yeah. So they eventually started letting me help lead the tours and whatnot. I mean, this I actually started doing when I was living in South Florida. So, you know, we would give tours of some of the local, um, more, more obviously known haunted locations like the Daring Estate. I've done more like small group things that were less formalized where it wasn't like a public ticketed like outing with members of the group and like, you know, some friends or whatever. But now I live in Savannah, Georgia, which it's just like known to be like super haunted. So, you know, I've done all kinds of weird stuff since I've been here and I'm very interested to see like where I go from here with the investigations. But 
I'm being brought out on a regular basis to different places to just check. Hey, Amber, you know, consult on this and tell us what you think of this. You know, I've, I've done enough of these investigations now where psychic tour companies here, they've asked me to come check out their paranormal investigation experience that they're offering and, and tell them like what I think of it and how it could be improved. So I'm like, oh, I guess I'm an authority on this now. I don't know. What's the craziest um, thing you've seen so far? I don't know if, if like seen is the right word. Or felt. Um, yeah, that that for me is is really like where it gets me. I I feel like I don't like being startled. So if I I mean I'm very very sensitive. So like before I'll see or hear anything, I usually feel it coming. And so I I don't I I don't know when it was like a few years ago maybe where I learned <laughs> I don't know why it took me so long to like realize this, but you know a lot of these spirits are a lot like regular people like you can set boundaries with them. You can tell them what you do and don't like and what's okay and what's not okay. And up to that point, I had never really tried to do that. But a lot of these, like, I don't like, I don't want to see or hear a lot of commotion because it freaks me out. So sometimes I'll, I'll like set boundaries and they actually will respect them, which is shocking to me. But I'll, I'll ask for a message to be relayed in my dream or like intuitively because I don't I don't want to deal with like, you know, having all kind of weird images in my head and stuff. So I usually I usually do that. I would say like most of the experiences I've had, I don't like feeling like something is going to try to compromise like my bodily integrity, like touch me or try to like hate to use the word possess because it sounds like out of a movie or something but I don't like that sensation I would say the most irritating thing that happened is I had one of these little gremlins like fry my cell phone once and it was just like a debacle like wait 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 wait, wait, wait. a a gremlin (laughs) I'm I'm being I'm being silly but um yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed now. I thought you really saw a gremlin. <laughs> I mean, it could have been a gremlin. I don't know. It was like some really unfortunate spirit energy down in Key West. He like wanted to crawl into me and he didn't get his way. So he crawled into my phone and. It was definitely, yeah. definitely a he. I mean, I like to think all negativity is male, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I've got issues. <laughs> so from. A career in civil law in New York City to haunted ghost tours in southern Florida to now clean cuisine in Savannah, Georgia. What's next for the company? Well, I mean, when I moved here, it was like a little bit, you know, of a different market. I mean, in South Florida, we have a lot more celebrities and billionaires um, than we do in Savannah here. Um, So you you were doing clean cuisine in or some version of it in Florida before the move to Savannah. Yeah, I've been doing it for like eight-ish years now. But yeah, moving here is like a different, um, it's just a different market. We don't have as many of the high-profile type clients. Like I had a a couple of agents that I worked with in South Florida. The agencies, a lot of the clients are strictly in like South Florida, Southern California, maybe even the Bay Area and like New York City area, you know, Connecticut, Rhode Island, whatever. You know, other than that, like the private chef market, maybe in yachting, but like Savannah, Georgia, not really a Mecca for that sort of thing. However, the film industry has really been picking up here. And I've had a couple of um, celebrity one-off things here. 
because um, people tend to be in town short term. Um, Can you name shooting. names? I'm, I, I really can't and okay. I shouldn't. No, that um, makes sense. I sign these little confidentiality things. It's funny because like half the time until I'm in their kitchen looking at them, I don't even know who I'm about to meet. <laughs> that happened with like the most recent one. I was like, oh. <laughs> and his name was? I, no, nah, I can't do it. I'm can't joking. do it. But, you know, besides besides the film stuff here, I was kind of like, well, what am I going to do? And I mean obviously there's a need for more healthy food in the South. Like, you know, I think, you know, so I've been doing a lot of community service work. I've been working with a couple of the local organizations like Healthy Savannah. And there's one called Mixed Screens that is kind of under the umbrella of the local farmer's market. You know, I've been teaching some private culinary nutrition classes and I have a few private clients, like some somewhat interestingly, a lot of these are, more kind of like up into South Carolina, like the Bluffton. I mean, it probably means nothing to you because you're not a local, but like up towards like Hilton Head and stuff. You know, we get a lot of dinners and people, tourists. But as far as local clients, like, yeah, a lot of them are in South Carolina for some reason. But um, there are a few in the Savannah area that I've had, but people aren't looking for the like full time type deal, like I told you. So I've kind of been partnering with the other like two people in town that like have ever heard of new nutritious anything because it just makes more sense I think for us to work together than to compete with each other. So I've been working with another female, she's like about my age and we're doing a vegan, gluten-free, low glycemic meal delivery service. And that's not something I've ever wanted to do because I told you I'm kind of averse to like volume food service. But the beauty of partnering with her is that I'm kind of like the creative consultant and chef. And she's doing all that grunt work of like the marketing and dealing with the clients and all the taxes and the billing and the fun stuff. Yeah, like I don't I don't want I have I'm an artist like I have like little to no desire to do any of that. So she takes care of all that. I'm not technically a party to that business and I can just invoice her under my umbrella of my business and call it a day. I don't have to deal with what happens with that, but I get to show up and cook the kind of food I want to cook. And, you know, and plus I get to help a lot more people. And that's the reason, like I said, that I've never worked with that many clients before is because I didn't want to, you know, quite frankly, have to deal with that many different clients and be on the phone and talking to them and taking their money and doing this, that and the other. I do think there's an attention to detail that does get lost when you're making 100 portions of something versus five. I think at the end of the day, this this business model more follows like it falls more under the umbrella of um you know, a service because a lot of our clients are elderly and people with health issues and things like that. So I'm cool with it for now. Well, I think it's a very cool thing that you're doing out there. And if there are people in the Savannah, Georgia or surrounding areas that want to learn more about clean cuisine or get in touch with you about partnering up on some of these ventures, where can they learn more? Um, well, you can email me, you can call me. I'm on Facebook probably way too much <laughs> help yeah the facebook is facebook.com uh, backslash chef amber marie my email is chef.amber.esq like esquire at gmail.com and my number is 954-850-2433 
Everybody in her industry approached food as responsibly as Chef Amber Marie does, we'd all be living in a much healthier and happier world. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chef Amber Marie today. I'd like to thank Chef Amber Marie for having that conversation with me. There's your kiss goodbye. Tune in next time. Last call, everybody. I don't know what I did.